Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe, the French Catholic Cafe. We're here in Lourdes, France on pilgrimage. It may seem like a long pilgrimage, Robert, for those who are listening because we're spreading these shows out uh, one a week, but uh, we're here. It's just a, it's a beautiful uh, experience. We have, we have beautiful, I mean, the sun just came in the window. Absolutely. It's such a lovely thing. Robert Hutton is here. He's one of the Knights of Malta. And he's, right. Enjoy uh, the pilgrimage. Yeah. Enjoying the food. I always gain five pounds every time we have a pilgrimage. You gain five pounds every time I do a show. You tell well, us. that's true. You, you may feel guilty about this, but this is, a, this is sort of a good kind of, it's good Catholic guilt. That's it's, true. It's, it's the good stuff. Uh, and it's what we love about our faith. You know, the Lord obviously uh, liked food because every important thing happened around a meal, did it not? That's <laughs> in the, true. In the That's whole good. New Testament. That, that way you can justify it. Yeah, That's exactly right. So, so eat up. Uh, and, uh, and so we meet so many interesting people we while do. we're on And we have a very great preacher we're going to talk to today. No, well, you know, he would never, he would never, he, he just he's did shaking so, his so, hand. Like, yeah, but so, I, no, so. I've had two, two people I trust say, he's actually, you got to hear this person preach. So well, we can't hear him preach, but we can talk to him about preaching. Well, and it, it just made me think that uh, regardless of whether he thinks he's a good preacher or not, but, but he probably knows what good preaching is. And, and we can talk about that because I don't, you think a lot of us have well before we even get into oh. that let's introduce uh father jim greenfield he is uh a the provincial of the eastern province of the oblates of saint francis de sales and i'm so happy to say that you are the first salesian we've had on this program so that's exciting well thank you very much i'm You're delighted to be breaking here today. new territory yes I'm, I'm glad i'm the first oblate on the show yes there you go and so that's uh that's that's neat now, now first of all you know tell us what, what, what are the oblates of St. Francis de Sales, what is that? Well, we're here in Lourdes, France, and we were founded a little to the north in Annecy, across the, um, well, actually, we were founded in Troyes, France, a little southeast of Paris. How long ago Um, was that? That was almost over 200 years ago. Wow. And St. Francis de Sales is the patron of our community over 400 years ago. I got you. And um, we're basically, you know, priests and brothers, seminarians committed to spreading the joy-filled, upbeat, deeply optimistic spirituality. And so that's your charism is just going around right. and being happy. That's us. So, so I love being sl- here in this French cafe. No whipping the back and penance and mortification. We don't do that? No. That's right. That's good. We do and you got a smile things. on his yeah. face. <laughs> no. He's got a smile on his face, and that's a good thing. You can't come. You can't come to Lords and not smile, though. Right. That it, is that is so spot on. I mean, this place is amazing. Yeah, and and the, and the interesting thing is, you, you people would think that this would be a very depressing place. We have so many people here who are literally, uh, you know, just just struggling with with their health, with with their uh, whatever might be ho- holding them down, or, or that. And you'd think that everyone have the reason to be depressed here, and yet. This is such a joyous place. It's amazing. Permeated with, uh, I know just down the road here uh, is the Grotto of Lourdes. And, you know, people are coming there looking for a miracle. And I heard someone say, everyone will be healed in some way. We don't yeah. know what the outcome will be, but we're all getting healed in some ways. But which is a great it, thing. Father Jim, isn't it neat to know that, like, Our Lady actually appeared to Bernadette just right down the road? Amazing. In fact, I've been on the Internet each night during this pilgrimage just checking out more details that I can find out because I didn't know that much right. about it prior to being here. So I, I am so touched. I will be hopefully a better preacher 
as a result of experiencing all of this beauty and this um, love and love and action here. Well, your uh, your fan club keeps talking about your preaching. I've never heard you preach, and I'm sure you are because I believe you're fan. I, I know these people, uh, and and so it just made me think. We you know we've Robert never done a show about preaching, preaching in general, and not that. You know, Father Jim, you're going to tell us how to do it. In 10 easy steps, you know, you're going to publish a book. This is how you preach. But maybe we'll just have a conversation about preaching. Sure. Love it. And why it's even important because, you know, I think a lot of people when they go to Mass are usually thinking, I hope he doesn't talk very long. My older brother, my sibling, anytime I preach near Philadelphia where I was, you know, where I grew up and if I'm back in that area, he will sit in the front pew and put his hand over his watch <laughs> and after five minutes go like this. He's a liturgical, you know, robocop, I yes. guess. He keeps you honest. He keeps me and honest. And he lets you know probably. I'm sure he has given you a critique or two. Yes, he has. Well, that's what we need that to humble us, though, don't we? Absolutely. You would know. Yeah, exactly right. No, you're exactly right. And, and here's the thing, though. Robert, how many times have we talked about how important preaching is? Oh, you know, uh, Father, I think one of our big issues back in Memphis, my friends that have left the church, and they go to, a, like, another denomination church, and you'll ask them invariably what caused them to leave. Of course, I could never do that because of the sacraments. I mean, I love the church. But, you know, a lot of times the thing you hear, it's not some doctrinal issue. It's preaching. It's the quality of preaching. I mean, and I think that is something that we as a church— have to find a way to improve preaching. And I think even our Holy Father said something about that we need to we need to focus more on preaching. Absolutely. And I think uh, Pope Francis right now, he is the, the patron of all preachers because, you know, his substance and his style have become the same thing. And that's hard to do, to put both of them together. Um, in fact, we're here in France. One of the great theologians of our church, Yves Congar, he was one of the bright mm-hmm. lights of Vatican Council too. This is not exactly um, how he said it because I'm pulling it up from memory. But he said, if you were in a country where you had mass with no preaching for six months and then in another country where you had mass with preaching for six months, the people that had the mass with preaching would be more Christian because that's how essential it is to form the life of faith. I mean, essentially, you're helping people to see the relevance of those sac- of, of, of the Eucharist in your life specifically. Absolutely. Right, because it's always interesting, you know, the Mass is broken up into the two big parts of liturgy of the Word and liturgy of the Eucharist, and that, that homily, that preaching, is really that bridge that helps the revelation of God to the Word of God sort of reach the hearts of the people and lead them to God's Son, right, in the Eucharist. Absolutely, and I was thinking, you know, just this morning here in Lourdes, Cardinal Dolan preached, I thought, a very powerful homily. We're at the grotto. And he used images, and I think that, you know, preaching uh, is really at its best when it's driven by images. And we're here in this grotto, he says, there's elements to all of human life that revolve around water, fire, and being in a cave. And I'm sure everyone who left that Mass remembered those three points. Right. That's yeah. good preaching. Yeah, Where, and, cause he, and, he, and he just locked it in, didn't he? Yes, he did. It was amazing, but he didn't sound like he was uh, preaching at us. No. Uh, and that's another key, I guess, in preaching is who is it that's speaking and, and what are you saying? And, uh, you know, is it about you? Is it about the because I, I know some people have told me, uh, well, I always start with a joke and someone always knows there's father so and so who's always starting with a joke. Right. right. Or always starting with a story. Someone said, you got to tell a story. And then I, I but I think some people aren't joke tellers and some people aren't storytellers. And so t- sometimes it starts to maybe destroy what God had created in us as unique preachers. Correct. Right. If we start like trying to cater what we do to some other form or fashion that maybe is not comfortable to us. 
I take an um, adage from my spiritual patron, St. Francis de Sales. His whole spirituality could be summed up in a pithy phrase, be who you are and be that well. And I think as a preacher, you need to capitalize on your own gifts. Francis says that, you know, heart speaks to heart, lips speak only to the ears. So if you're speaking heart to heart, you'll have a net. If you, if you want to use a joke or it just comes naturally, put it in there. But if you have, like, I start with a joke, then I make three points, and then I finish, people know that's canned. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, how do you prepare to preach, Father? Like, if you've if you got a Sunday Mass, if you're going to, you know, have for a parish, like, what, what do you do? How do you go about preparing to preach? Everything that I do during the week, because my job, my day job is on provincial. It's very administrative. You know, I try to be as partial as I can. So I'm not necessarily working in a parish, but everything I do is preparing for that Sunday homily because, you know, you know, 95% of the people come to that experience in a parish, and that's the only thing they do all week in a parish. So I think you need to be able to, like, get it out there in, in the pulpit. So whether it's, you know, reading the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, um, through my, the, the readings at office, through a joke that I heard maybe somewhere, or something that's happened on the news, that all of that stuff informs the scriptures and the readings of the day. And I think that you just have to start on Monday morning, preparing for the following Sunday, and let those scriptures read through you rather than you read through them. And then when you get that, it's almost like a hand-in-glove kind of fit. And when you get there in that pulpit on Sunday, you know, you just hit it out of the park, like you said, with Cardinal Dillon. I think I think people respond well when they when they hear something that doesn't sound like it came out of a book somewhere. Correct. Or right. off the so internet. It, it came it came through life and your your experience of, of life. Yeah, I think so. Bruce Springsteen said it well. Um, everyone has a hungry heart and preachers preach to hungry hearts. And just as you all were saying at the beginning when you were introducing me that, you know, Jesus liked to eat. That's the only miracle that appears in every gospel, the feeding of the mm. multitude. And in two of them, it appears two times. So it's six times in all scripture. So, you know, we are, like Jesus, feeding people with our words, not necessarily with bread and fish. So it's something really to preach to the hungry heart. You know, one thing you just said, Father, also, is you start on Monday morning for Sunday. That shows preparation. I mean, I, I'm not a preacher. I'm a lawyer. But I do know that good trial work takes, it's probably 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. It takes work to, to do something. So um, do you think that that's a key? I mean, do you see, I mean, not criticizing anybody, but do you think maybe people need to spend more time working on their homilies? Is that a way to improve preaching in I think so. Back in the day when I was a seminarian, Walter Burkhart, a very famous Jesuit, you know, he published maybe seven or eight books on preaching, and everyone was reading his books on how to do it. And he said one time, for every minute of his sermon, or his homily, because it was very called a homily, for every minute he spent four hours of preparation. Wow. Now, I'm woefully negligent with that, oh. but, I, but I always hear him telling us that, and I try to make the word fresh by putting time into it. And, you know, without preparation, without prayer, I think it's impossible to really to preach to the hungers of the human heart uh, if you're not doing that. And that's kind of neat. Now, of course, obviously in preaching, you, you would be, you would readily agree, I'm sure, that the Holy Spirit is involved in this process. Yes, and if the Holy Spirit isn't working through me, then there's DesperatePreachers.com. Right. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you just have to get out there and do everything you can. But I think by the time you actually preach the homily the holy spirit has done what the holy spirit needs to do no that's awesome that's awesome and they are hungry people they so they want to eat yes they do right so they're waiting and we need to serve it up well 
That. Rich, full abundanza. Yes, whatever that was, but that's... Uh, My uh, Italian grandmother, that's the meal she put on our table. You couldn't get enough of it. Very good. And if you looked like you were slowing down, she'd put more on that plate, right? That's the Italian double bind. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're talking to Father Jim Greenfield. Uh, he is a the provincial of the eastern province of the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales. And we're going to talk more uh, to Father Greenfield about... Uh, all this uh, wonderful preaching stuff in a second. We're going to take a break. Uh, I do want to remind folks at home that we have a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Tell me about your uh, favorite preaching stories. Send me an email, Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we will be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. The heresy of iconoclasm came to the forefront in the early 8th century and lasted well into the 9th century. The iconoclast, whose name means image breakers, rejected the use of images of God or humans, but especially those of Christ, Mary, the saints, and holy events. These images had become commonplace in churches and homes throughout the universal church over the centuries, with paintings, drawings, sculptures, and other images dating to the earliest days of the Christian church. The iconoclast felt that to venerate these images was tantamount to idolatry, and their influence was causing a rift within the church. A council was called in the late 8th century, which addressed the issues of icons and sacred images in particular, but in a more general sense, the very nature of the worship of God. The Second Council of Nicaea in 787 AD was the seventh ecumenical council of the church and spoke with the full weight of the magisterium the teaching authority of the Roman Catholic Church. There was much discussion and prayer by the bishops attending the universal gathering. They took into account not only the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but also the works of many great Catholic theologians of the day. The writings of St. John of Damascus are said to have had a profound influence on the Council Fathers. About the subject of sacred art, he said, If a pagan asks you to show him your faith, take him into a church and place him before the icons. The Second Council of Nicaea dogmatically decreed that the church's inspired tradition of the veneration of sacred images be upheld. The council proclaimed, We define that the holy icons, whether in color, mosaic, or some other material, should be exhibited in the holy churches of God, on the sacred vessels and liturgical vestments, on the walls, furnishings, and in the houses along the roads, namely the icons of our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that of Our Lady, Theotokos, those of the venerated angels, and those of all the saintly people. Whenever these representations are contemplated, they will cause those who look at them to commemorate and love their prototype. Still today, the Catholic Church continues the centuries-old tradition of the use and benefit of sacred images of all kinds. The dogmatic decrees of the Second Council of Nicaea and many subsequent ecumenical councils to follow on the proper veneration of these images served as a spiritual anchor of inspiration to sacred tradition and the divine revelation of God. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. 
And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, the French Catholic Cafe. We're on pilgrimage in Lourdes, France, with the Order of Malta. Robert Hutton is here with us, as uh, usual, as I sort of guest co-host. So glad to have you here, Robert. And I noticed you've been in our little break. You had a, a another croissant, which is nice that you would partake of the partake, partake of the local fare. And the cappuccino, here. yeah, exactly. Or French coffee. <laughs> Trust me, I'm doing it too. Uh, I love the breakfasts here because it's the continental stuff, you know. But it's like that the bread is just so good. It's just so incredibly good. And we're talking to Father Jim Greenfield, who is a uh, provincial of the Eastern Province of the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales. Uh, and now you're based, you, you, you're, you live and work, and where, 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 where is home for you? Well, uh, home is Wilmington, Delaware, but basically the East Coast. We have always from Boston down to Haiti, and the description for a provincial visit every oblate every year. So I'm on the road a lot. Can wow. I, can I ask you, what is an oblate? I've never heard that word before. An oblate is a Latin word, oblatus, literally means offering. So we're offerings of the spiritual of Francis de Sales to our world. So the Oblates of St. Benedict, the Oblates of Mary Immaculate, it's just a Latin designation. Okay. You're a gift. They're gifts. To the right? world. To the yeah. world. Exactly right. Well, that's no Thank pressure you. on you. Uh, but thank you. As we have problems in the world, we're going to look to uh, our oblates to solve all the problems. So <laughs> You've come to the right person. <laughs> and you're so humble, too. That's what I love. That yeah. you, you have no doubt. You have the, the fear of the Lord is now alive and well in you. And so, Father Jim, we're talking about preaching, and we're kind of focusing on preaching. Uh, and there's an interesting concept. You know, a lot of people think, well, first of all, you know, people like to tap the watch as your brother Mm-hmm. Uh, does to you every once in a while. Uh, and we think of preaching in the context of the Mass, which is where most Catholics hear preaching. But do you think there's also a truth that, to some degree, that the preaching happens outside of Mass as well, and other, whether it's lectures or talks or how you live your life? Absolutely. Going outside my tradition into the Franciscan tradition, uh, St. Francis of Assisi is reputed to have said something like this. That, you know, he sent out his friars into the world to do works of service and good deeds. And he said, go out there and preach the gospel. And only, if necessary, use words. Right. So I think that's, you know, that says it all. So we're out there, um, and we become, I think, the preached homily just by the way we live. You know, we try to put who we are and what we do together. That's not always easy. But, you know, keeping that in mind... What I share from my heart that comes through my lips, I try to also embody with my lifestyle. I love preaching at retreats uh, right here um, on this uh, Knights of Malta pilgrimage where we are in Lourdes, France. I had the opportunity to speak with the Malades. The sick people that come here uh, along with brought here by the Order of Malta to experience this beautiful place. Yes. So you were talking to these folks. I was talking to them, and basically I was asked to facilitate a conversation with them on what it was like to be here. Um, as, as, as people with, you know, illnesses and diseases of various kinds. And that was a very touching moment for me because I was able to draw from some of the experiences that I was having in my own prayer, listening to other people preach homilies at Mass, and then open it up. And it just basically, you know, used this idea that we're all pilgrims. Even though we're on a pilgrimage and there's no such thing as uh, pilgrim time, that we should turn our clocks over mm. and enter into the mm. eternal now. And that that became an image that caught on. So just, you know, using that theme of, you know, God does not have a calendar in heaven and doesn't live in May or March or June. It's just the eternal moment. So trying to unpack what it's like to live in the present moment, sometimes that could be a powerful homily for people. Yeah, now I'll tell you what, though, I, I always get nervous when, like, if a priest, like, 
you know, takes his watch off and puts it in his pocket, though. That eternal yeah. moment could, can be like that eternity. Too. <laughs> we don't want it to become an eternity. That eternal moment can be hell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe just purgatory. We hope it's just purgatory, and then we are on to uh, better, greener pastures, right? But it, we are. And, you know, something the bishops, I used to be the campus minister at George Washington University mm-hmm. in the district, and uh, that was one of my favorite ministries. And I read something that they published called Sons and Daughters of the Light. They wanted to know why people weren't coming to Mass in droves, especially young people. So they they found three things that young people are looking for. And the three things are this, singable music, hospitality, and good preaching. And, you know, when you think about it as a pastor or as a a deacon, as a priest uh, charged with the ministry of preaching, you know, we need to deliver those three variables, those deliverables as they were. And um, that because that's what people are looking for. So, like, think of, you know, when you leave mass, if you're leaving with a song that you liked or a good, you know, experience of connecting with somebody and you can remember in one sentence what the homily was. Right. I think that's a good that's a good feast. You know, Father, I'm an attorney, so I do a lot of talking to persuade as well. And I think one thing I've I've noticed about lawyers and also about good preachers is that um, you can have different styles that come from your personality. Like my mentor was a very good lawyer, but he, he, he could, had a wit about him. I don't have that same wit. If I try to tell a joke, it'll fall on deaf ears. But I mean, do you think that you're per- like, I've seen even preachers, some will have a very soft spoken style. Some will be very melodramatic, almost like a Baptist kind of sure. sort of um, that wit, that image of preaching. I mean, how much, I guess, does, does your style of preaching depend upon your personality and who you are. Do you think it changes um, in terms of how you know how you deliver your preaching? I think if your preaching is different from your personality, you need to go back to seminary, and because you can't. Escape. You missed class. There you was a, there class. was a, there was a class that you were supposed to go to that you missed that. That's day. right. You can't help who you are. So, like for me, like my particular style is to be conversational in my preaching, right. and always to think again that I'm having. That I'm not speaking to people, I'm, I'm speaking with people. Right. And if you're yourself, then it's more authentic, so it's more believable. It's more, it's, it's not like you're putting on a show or, I mean, it's, it's coming from who you are, which makes it, I think, more persuasive. Absolutely. People say to me all the time that they like my hummus because they think they're simple. Now, sometimes I'm thinking, oh, I thought that was a little more complex. But right. So if someone finds it simple, I think that's a re- that's an awesome compliment. You've taken something that that may be theologically profound and deep, and you've made it so that they could digest it. You've made it bite sized that it actually can be consumed by them. I think so. And we're that's not a- we're not there just to regurgitate the catechism. Right. I think we're really there to move people to different levels of faith, so that when they leave there, they can take what you had to say in the context of the liturgical action there. So that's hearing God's word and sharing Eucharist, because that's what you have to attach the preaching to, so that people's lives are changed. Right, that's and, the it, goal. and it needs to be—I mean, it needs to be genuine, as, as Robert was talking about. It. it needs to come from you. They want to hear what Father Jim or his perspective, but really, it's obviously, like I said, the Holy Spirit kind of coming through Father Jim. But they want to hear that. I, re- I have uh, recollection uh, recently of hearing uh, someone speak a preach, uh, and they were talking about. Uh, and he started it with saying, you know, in, in, I was reading in my recent copy of Scientific American, and he went on, and it's like he'd lost me at that point because, like, Father, you don't read Scientific American. Right. <laughs> Please, I don't know where you bought this homily, but I'm not buying it, you right. know. So I, mean, I think people who are listening, they, they pick up on this. Now, I have the benefit of having nine children, 
where oh, wow. you probably don't have as many as nine. That's right. Well, I don't have any. <laughs> right. With the spiritual children, you have so many more than me, many. which is which is beautiful. But I but I know from my, my own experience that my kids can see right through me sometimes. If I say something, they'll do as I do, not as I say. Right. Oh, yeah. and, and I think the same thing in the preaching. If it's like, if it doesn't sound, if it doesn't ring true, like, I really do read Scientific American or I really do watch this show. Otherwise, it's going to it's going to come across as uh, something that's not genuine that, that it, and they won't even invest any time in thinking of it. I agree. And I think people know when we're being canned, when we're being saccharine, when we're being overly pious. I mean, yeah. people get that, you know, that, again, I think that when you wrestle with the text of Scripture and connect that with your experience and also connect it with the experience of everyone in the assembly and ultimately try to lead that to the connection to God, to the supernatural, to the transcendent. People get that. And if you don't wrestle with all of that, people will leave there wanting. Do you You pray over your scriptures, Father? Is prayer part of that preparation? Do you pray over the scriptures before you I pray over them and pray with them, you know, every day. You know, just in terms of my whole life as a priest, as an oblate, as a religious, um, if I'm not praying, I'm committing malpractice okay. because then it's affecting every other area of my life. So without prayer, then I don't have what it takes. Is my prayer always on point? Is it always, you know... Um, Lord, tell me what to say. Exactly. It's maybe not, it may not always be that. It may just be... Because uh, if you have, like, it seems like you have sort of a willing... Uh, and vulnerable and open spirit, right? It sounds like you're you're always seeking input from God. And if you're in that frame of, of life, it seems like it'd be easier to start to realize that just to trust God, that that, that message is going to come. Don't fret over the message. That's God right. will give you that. Just start taking in, you know, and, the, and praying over or praying as you normally do, living your life. I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, when you said about being vulnerable, One thing we all have in common when we come together around the Eucharistic table is we're vulnerable and dependent. So using those two images of who we are as the body of Christ, it really helps the homily emerge as it develops during the week. And then I think you're able to just, as we said earlier, feed the people of God with what they need to live their week. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Father Jim Greenfield, for spending some time with us talking about preaching, the all-important subject of preaching. People might not even thought it was important, but it is important. Thank you very much. It's great to be here, and look forward to coming back to this French cafe. Well, we're going to close as we do. We're here in Lourdes, and Our Lady is watching over us here, as she is all over the world. Let's say a little prayer, and let's invoke her name and bring her into this nice little cafe with us. Amen. Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, the the Lord Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com, where you can find out more information about The Catholic Cafe, listen online, Download MP3s or subscribe to our podcast. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta, Federal Association 
and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from the Most Reverend Martin D. Holly, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.